This morning's reading is in two parts. If you have your Bible with you, you may like to make a note. We start with 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and then move to Romans chapter 12. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Then Romans chapter 12 verse 1 Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello and a very warm welcome to you. I'm so glad we're able to be together today. My name is Rupert Charkham. I'm the vicar of St Michael's Church in Chester Square and I look forward to the day surely not too far off now when we can meet together safely there. But for the time being, let's just enjoy the fact that we can still meet together, albeit over the uh, capacity of the internet. We're continuing our sermon series on how to build resilience into our lives during testing times. And the idea of this series is not just that we should manage to get through challenging times, survive if you like, but actually under God's hand and with his help, live out our lives in such a way that we even grow during them and the kingdom of God continues to grow as well. Now today, we're going to consider what I think is an elusive secret. It's an elusive secret, but it's not an exclusive secret. If we were to make a list of people in the scriptures who have managed to capture this secret and incorporate it into their lives, and if we were to make a list of the people that we know who since scriptural times have lived out a life which really did show that during times of challenge it is possible to grow, well there would be a great diversity amongst those people. And no doubt they would share different temperaments, different backgrounds, different races, different skills, different spiritual disciplines even. But there is, I'm certain, one thing, at least one thing, that they all have in common. And the elusive secret we're going to look at today, that could be ours if we may choose to make it, is they were fully devoted followers of Christ. They were fully committed. And I'm going to be talking about this, about the benefits of being fully committed as you follow God. And I really would love you to have in front of you what I would call a golden verse in this department. It's going to come up on screens, but it will probably pay you to write it down on a piece of paper as well, so that you can have it with you during the week. And even, I would suggest, memorize it. It's from the Old Testament. It's tucked away in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 9. Now I'm going to test my memory. Here we go. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth 
the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Why? What's he looking for? I'll tell you, because the verse continues, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Wow. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It has a very nice rhythm about it. God is on the lookout. That's what it means that his eyes are roaming. If you have enjoyed watching the trilogy of films about Lord of the Rings, it might conjure up to you as it does to me, actually, that all-seeing eye, the eye of Sauron. But we know, actually, he, he was a terrific figure of evil. The eye of a Lord ranges throughout the earth to do something wholly positive and good, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And he can see those who are fully committed to him because they stand out. They always have stood out. They stand out in the pages of scripture and they stand out in any sphere of life that you meet them. And probably like me, you're thinking to yourself, wow, well, a bit of strengthening from the Lord wouldn't go amiss, would it? Well, it seriously wouldn't. And this verse is a verse of promise. God is saying, when I roam throughout the earth looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to me, I will strengthen them. So I want to emphasize in this talk how we can achieve that. The aim is out there already. And you might say, OK, I've read the verse, so can I switch you off now, Rupert, and get on with life? And the answer is, well, if it was that easy to do, I'd say yes. But it isn't so easy to do, judging by how few people are following Christ wholeheartedly. And what a challenge those of us who are trying to do that find it. So maybe it's helpful just to rehearse together why it's so difficult, why it's such a struggle. And it is, clearly. I mean, even the Apostle Peter, you think of what happened in his life, he starts off wonderfully well, doesn't he? Fully committed. He must have been fully committed because he left behind those fishing nets. He left them behind, he walked away from his career, and he followed Jesus. And at that point, his commitment is total, radical, life-changing, extreme. But we know when the stress was on, when the heat was on, when the chips were down, hmm, did he follow wholeheartedly? Evidence suggests not so much. But a tell-tale little phrase used in the first three Gospels about him just before he denies Jesus. Peter followed at a distance. He let a distance come between him and the Lord. And I don't think that was the only time either. It's just possible, isn't it, that after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, instead of having his eyes on being a fisher of men as Jesus had commissioned him, he went back to be a fisher of fish told the others, I'm going out fishing. Well, happily, uh, his lifetime of following Christ wasn't put on a scrap heap, but that we know how the story ends and Jesus reunites. But there we are. It, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to keep up that level of intensity in following. And then the second thing, which I think uh, often causes people to become less than fully committed, 
common sense kicks in. Common sense, but not Christian sense. That, that little voice in your ear, or I've often actually heard parents say it to their children, that um, really moderation in everything, don't you know? Moderation in everything, not too much of anything. Or don't put your eggs or your eggs in one basket. Fully committed, that's a bit over the top, don't you think? A bit OTT. Well, let me kick back at that. There are some situations that you and I are in and we fully accept that to be anything less than fully committed would be nonsensical. Just occasionally, you might see a picture of normally a dignitary, sometimes even the royal actually, and they're going to launch uh, themselves into a boat. Well, they're caught with a moment's hesitation with one foot on the jetty and one foot in the boat. And there's a, a, a ghastly moment of indecision and then you can see where they're going to end up in, in the water. Now that's trivial, it doesn't really matter. But, well it matters to them, but it, it's not life-threatening consequence. But there are other situations that we know you really do have to fully commit and it's a life or death experience. So before you have an operation in hospital, you have to sign a consent form to give permission for the medics to do really whatever they feel it's best to do. And it might be just before an anaesthetic and you're going to be out for the count. You can't comment halfway through. You're fully committed. You're fully entrusting yourself to their skills. Or maybe you join the army and you sign up. And once you've signed up, uh, you're in the army. You obey the rules. You, you can't imagine yourself on the battlefield just waking up one morning saying, oh, it's getting a bit hot around here. I think I'll, I'll go home now. No. And then there are some other situations where, again, on the battlefield, you have to commit yourself to one side or the other. You have to declare who you're standing for or you'll be shot at from both sides. And we know if you believe the scriptures in the Christian life, you are on a battlefield and you will need to decide if you're going to serve Christ or not and who you'll be identified with. These are just elementary, simple uh, situations in which we have to make a decision. Now, some people really don't like making decisions. Some time ago, I read an example in the newspaper about a driver, I won't tell you if it was a man or a woman, who found it very difficult to make a decision. Let me read it to you what happened. The prospect of crossing a three quarters of a mile long Orwell Bridge near Ipswich was too much for one driver. They came to a halt in the middle of the A45. The driver told police that they were terrified of crossing bridges and had planned the route to avoid them, but had taken a wrong turning on their 100-mile journey. The driver's problem wasn't caused by fear of heights, but by gephrophobia. Norman Lee, president of the National Council of Psychotherapists, said, the sufferer cannot bear the responsibility of crossing from one side to another and opts out of a decision. So let me spend the rest of this talk explaining the motivation, the reasoning which frees us to make a decision to become fully committed to Christ. And I'm much helped by one verse, I could have picked many, but one verse in Romans chapter 12, where Paul writes this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's hone in in just a few of those words. In view of God's mercy. I urge you, in view of God's mercy. And here's a key to being really fully motivated. Keep God's mercy in view. Behind a decision to become fully committed to Christ is the knowledge and experience that he is already fully committed to me. In a very touching passage in John chapter 10, Jesus chooses to use a figure of speech to express just how committed he is to us, his followers, calling himself the Good Shepherd. And what does that Good Shepherd do? None other than lay his life down for his sheep. And he emphasizes the point, no one snatches it from me, I lay it down willingly. That's God's commitment, that's God's mercy. In just a few weeks now, we'll be celebrating the resurrection on Easter Day. But the resurrection, as you know, doesn't arrive until you've been through the pain of crucifixion. The crucifixion of Jesus always seems to remind me that he says, Rupert, I love you this much. And he's stretching out his arms as he says that. I love you this much in a cross shape. That's commitment. And when I look at the cross, and surely when you look at the cross, it says to you, I'm fully committed to you. I die for you if necessary. And it was necessary. Secondly, God is fully committed to being with us, to being with me and with you. He says many times in scripture, I'm with you always even to the ends of the earth or the ends of the age. Really? Yes, really, really and truly. You probably remember that passage in Philippians chapter four, where Paul says, don't have any anxiety about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, etc., etc." But do you remember how that verse actually starts? Just before Paul says, the Lord is near. So you don't have anything on your mind that makes you anxious. The Lord is near. I'm with you. I'm with you. God is that committed. So committed that we could say like Paul, neither death nor life or angels or demons or things in the present or the future or any powers, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. He's that committed. And then he's very committed to building his church. I will build my church. He's that committed. And then he's fully committed to looking after his sheep. We need to know this during COVID times, but not just COVID times. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. That's Isaiah 40 verse 11. And elsewhere, he says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he won't snuff out. Now, why do I highlight these qualities? Simply to show that it's not irrational to be fully committed 
to following Christ fully. In fact, when you and I really stop to think about it, anything less than full devotion would be a bad decision and an illogical decision. Why? Because being God, he has the total right to demand my everything, everything of me. Suppose after this uh, talk is over in the afternoon, I was to ring you up and I say to you, I'd like you to lend me your life. And you say, well, hang on a minute. And you get out your diary and you say, well, um, Rupert, I can offer you an afternoon next Friday week. And I, I kick back at you and I say, well, actually, that's not really at all what I'm asking. In fact, the demands I want to put on you are so total, it would be accurate to say, I'm asking you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, if I did ask you that, um, which I wouldn't, but if I did, you'd have a right to ask me a few follow-up questions first. You might say something like, why? What have you done to deserve it? Or you might say, what right do you have to ask me for that? And Jesus could answer you back, in the light of what I've done for you, what right do you have to withhold anything from me? I gave my life for you. C.T. Studd, a great missionary, great cricketer, incidentally, could do with one of those. Uh, C.T. Studd, a great missionary in Africa, he wrote, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I could put it like this as well. It's not just what he did, it's who he is that makes him able to say, Rupert, I want you to be a living sacrifice for me. Here's a rather trivial illustration, but suppose, suppose it was the queen that rang you up and she says to you, um, I want your services. And provided you were sure it wasn't a hoax call, I think you'd find it quite difficult to say to her, no, no, sorry. Why? Because she's the queen and you presumably are one of her loyal subjects. Well, Jesus is the king of kings. And he might say to us, look, if you're a Christian, that's what you signed up for. I am your Lord. I'm your boss. Just as much as someone in the army of a general says, do this, cannot say, no way. The general will say, hang on, what did you sign up for? You're in. These are the people that God is looking for. People who are fully committed to him. Fully committed to him. And he strengthens them. And they change the world. In the wonderful passage, Acts 2, 42 to 47, where you get a cameo shot of what the New Testament church looked like when it was functioning really well. It's a paragraph that begins, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to a number of other things, the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, etc. But it's their attitude I'm highlighting today. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves fully to it. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to close this talk, reading an example of someone who was fully committed. But I want to say a couple of things just before we get there. By way of clarification, I want to add a little word of caution and explanation. Being totally committed shouldn't be confused or thought of as a call to be hyperactive. Because actually, I realise as much as anyone else that 
during periods of great strain and stress and the tiredness that comes with it, the very thought of being asked to do another thing is enough to make us despair. Now, God is not a taskmaster and being fully committed doesn't equal running around like a headless chicken. In fact, sometimes when you're fully committed, the thing God will ask you to do is to be still. It, it's a question of being committed to be as close as you can to Christ and as Christ-like as you can. That's what fully commitment means. And, and that's a place of security. When you can shelter under the shadow of God's wings, then you can rest. As Psalm 91 puts it, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's what we're committing ourselves to, Christ's likeness and being close to Christ. It's not difficult to find many places in the scripture where we're told actually to wait upon the Lord to renew our strength. But I am being very straight with you, it takes just as much effort, sometimes more, to wait upon the Lord and be still. I loved a little illustration of a man I read in the newspaper who was trying to break a world record. Let me read it to you. A world record attempt by a man in a Humpty Dumpty suit failed miserably. Damien Andrews, aged 32, hoped to break the world record of 11 hours, five minutes for squatting against a wall, but he gave up after one hour, five minutes. One spectator said, you'd have thought someone breaking a world record would put a bit more effort into it. Well, I would have thought that someone trying to follow the King of Kings and Lord of Lords would put a lot of effort into it and wouldn't be afraid if God says, come close to me and sit down. And then the second thing I want just to say is that full commitment requires focus and intentionality. And I found it very, very useful on a yearly basis. Well, actually, I do it more than that, but at least on a yearly basis to do a kind of spiritual audit of my own life. You can't do it for me. I can't do it for you. A, a kind of review, an MOT, like you might take your car in for a service. And in fact, we at St. Michael's Church are going to do it together. We're going to set aside Sunday, March the 21st as a day of commitment. This year, I'm rebranding it not just Commitment Sunday, but Refreshment Sunday as well, where we press the refresh button, asking God that he would come and really refresh us at this time. And it will be an opportunity for us to declare together as his church family that we are fully committed to him. He needs not search too hard for us because we're going to stand out. And I'm going to end this talk with an example of a standout follower of Jesus. This script was found nailed to the wall of a house in Zimbabwe many, many years ago. And as will become very clear, it's written by a follower of Christ. And the tragedy is, it was found in his house after he'd been murdered in his bed. Let me read it to you, and then we'll pray. I'm part of a fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die's been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. 
and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. My pace is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough and my companions few, my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus and I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognising me. My banner will be clear. So let it be with us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are so fully committed to us that you sent your one and only Son. And we pray that you would see our hearts as we devote ourselves to following you and to knowing you better. Lead us by your Holy Spirit into your presence and make us ever more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.